Hello, my name is Mason Poe, and welcome to the Great Design Lead podcast. I am a founder and a builder at Edgar Allen, and right now I'm sitting in my car. Perfect. It's a mobile podcast <laughs> studio. <laughs> it's the most um, soundproof area that I have around uh, kids and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> then that's perfect for me. <laughs> Thank you so much for wanting to come on and, and hang out with me. I I admire you so much. You're so kind to me about the podcast and encouraging. And every communication that you and I have had has been so kind. And so seeing you face-to-face is just a r- really cool experience. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I really admire what you've been building. It's um, It's so difficult to, one, start anything and then to keep it up, you know, and I've got a confession is like when you first emailed me, like I didn't know, like one, I'm not the first to just like want to jump on a podcast. And um, I was like, you know, who is this person? (laughs) I've never met her on Twitter. Like I meet a lot of people on Twitter and um, yeah, but just like the more that I've been able to get to know you through just like Twitter and your podcast and things along those lines. And it's um, funny, you've, you've been with me on a lot of runs. So like I listened to (laughs) Let's listen to the podcast on my runs. And um, so it's great to be able to talk with you today. Perfect. Uh, so I think that uh, some some people already know you um, from just Webflow and Design World and Edgar Allen and everything. Um, and so I was like kind of scouring the internet, trying to find things that people have said about you. And I found three that I found very funny. And so I <laughs> wanted to know, they're from like, a long time ago, but I thought that you would awesome. enjoy me telling you them that I found. Um, so the, I'm going to go in uh, in levels of intensity and funniness. Um, okay. So one person said, Mason is the kind of guy that you want on the front lines of the creative process. I thought that was really nice. That's <laughs> The next one was, I told my mother, I think I'm going to like working with Mason. Six months later, I said, I would walk on hot coals for that man. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And then the last one, which I thought was hilarious, and this is the oldest one. What can you say about Mason that hasn't already been written in textbooks, tabloids, and blogs? He is the man for all seasons. Durable, reliable, good on turns, performs well in the rain, (laughs) all-around swell guy. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, I don't know, like, where are these link, like, these recommendations came from, but, um, yeah, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with different people in different capacities. Um, I think that as someone that's self-taught, uh, I've tried to, to probably listen more than I, I, talk about things. And um, one of the areas where I've probably learned the most was there was a time about seven years where I taught at Portfolio Center. And um, it's a it's kind of a secondary school here in Atlanta and, and just really learned a, a ton. I always felt like, you know, I, I learned more teaching than I did um, what I was teaching. I was teaching like flash classes at the time. Um, but I just was able to start to, what I'd say is like, think about how to lead design teams um, and think about how to work with people and try to think about how, how to, you know, understand where a group of people are and how to, you know, try to make them feel comfortable with their strengths. And 
and um yeah so that's anyway but um yeah and i've also been i've got like so many um questions uh probably for you which we might have to do like a reverse <laughs> podcast at some point um just you know like uh i've, I've got these like sort of like little snapshots of like you know you being a coxswain and um like rowing in college and like all of these different like little uh little things so um but we'll we'll talk about that probably uh you know at another date yeah, I've never uh, had one of those times going through my life and everything, but it's it's really fun to go through other people's lives and, and see all of the different steps that uh, gets them to who they are, because there's usually so much more dimension and so much more to someone than uh, how you met them now. Like they weren't sure. always yeah. like present day them. And I think that that's a really, really cool thing. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's something that like, you know, you're kind of like listening to the the podcast and even like Joseph Berry is thinking about him, like working at the women's um, fashion place. Yeah. And, you know, like everyone's kind of like, you know, like, oh, you know, he's, he's does so much and he's got these classes and things along those lines. And then just thinking about him, like, you know, trying to find that first job and, you know, same thing for like John Sanders, you know, you were talking about, like, there was like so many times when I was listening to that interview and I was like, man, I, yes, you know, be a better writer to be a better like leader. And, you know, you don't have to start your own thing, how you can learn from others. And um, so it's been great to just hear all of these different stories um, around how people are kind of just, you know, making it up as they go along and, and learning as they go. It's, I think you already know how I usually start things off with people. It's my, my favorite question um and the favorite question is uh when you were a little kid um before you knew about like how expensive life is or, or like what uh you need in life or anything like that <laughs> when somebody asked you what do you want to be when you grow up what was your your first answer to that it's a tough one um one of my favorite lines is from a modest mouse song that's uh I'm the same as I was as I was six years old. And it's like, oh my God, I feel so damn old. And, <laughs> um, you know, for me, like it's, it was probably that I wanted to be an artist um, yeah. and maybe a ditch digger. Uh, so, <laughs> because so like two very like, different things. <laughs> yeah. Like I, well, I just loved digging holes and like, that was a big pastime of mine is like, and I had like, we had all of these holes in the backyard. Um, but I just like building things. And, you know, I think that as I was, um, you know, the one thing that I was probably concerned about is being a starving artist. And that's all I ever heard about is being a start starving artist. And so that's probably why I didn't go down the fine arts path, but I also really love to, to sell things. Um, and oh. like, I, I think I, I get that from, from my dad and my mom. Um, you know, they're both great salespeople and, um, you know, so I think trying to have that practical side to, you know, what I'm doing and, uh, just trying to make sure that like, you know, I'm, I'm making something that I'm really excited about and I'm playing with ideas and then that there's, you know, something that that can contribute to the world. What did you like so much about ditch digging when you were a little kid? Is like an outdoor fun thing to do? <laughs> yeah, I would make little ponds. Um, I would make forts. Really? Uh, I yeah. Um, like 
I, well, I kind of had a crush on Snow White, which is like totally random. And like, I loved the little like caves that all of the dwarves lived in. And so I really like wanted to dig my own cave and, um, but yeah, I was just like, I just liked building things and I would just build things in the backyard. And, um, so, uh, it was an easy way, like, you know, with dirt, you can just start to, unlike with um like boards and hammers and nails and, and things like that uh like one shovel and i could go in and start to have like a whole uh little fort and world that i was i was building i loved uh, that that picture that i i saw of you where you were on a little boat that you made yourself mm-hmm. and you looked like yeah. you were about maybe like seven or eight years old yeah um yeah well i i think you know i for whatever reason was drawn to sailing and um, I would go to my aunt's house up in Michigan and they had a pond that was like maybe I don't know 30 yards by 30 yards and um, they had a little dinghy like I don't even know what the dinghy was for but then I like went and found like a you know a big thing and like got a bed sheet and um, <laughs> and then I would just sail from like one side of this 30 yards to the other side and I, I did that for you know days on end and just had like the best time. Uh, what was that kid like at that age? Um, say a little awkward, like a <laughs> little, um, I would say content to just do my own thing. And, um, you know, I, 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 when that was taken to one, just to give everyone like a full picture here, it's like, I've got a t-shirt on and jams and like I'm in sort of like an orange little dinghy that I've stringed together um and yeah like I don't know I I I go even now from being what I'd say is like um you know like I love being around people and I love um you know talking with people and like I'm I can be very social and then I can also go and like be very introverted and like my like one of my favorite things is to just like you know, go on really long runs, um, like with, like, I don't run to, to like for, I would say, I mean, I run for exercise, but I'm not like trying to like have a super fast time or anything. And I don't run races. Um, uh, I do sometimes race mountain bikers. Cause like, I think that's fun. Um, <laughs> like, you race people on bikes? Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, like, I don't know. It's, I'll see people that will have like a $15,000 bike and they're going up the hill and like my favorite things to pass them. Um, <laughs> but that's just me being petty. So. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think you said that you were born in Illinois. I wanted to kind of hear about that backstory too. Sure. Uh, yeah. So my family is from middle Tennessee. And um, so my I, I come from a long line of Patrick's. I come from a long line of Mason's and then the poser in there as well. And so my, on my dad's side, uh, I think I'm like the third or fourth Patrick. Um, and then on my mom's side, uh, there's uh, Rudolph Mason Freeland. Um, and my grandfather's name uh, is Rudolph Mason Freeland. And then his dad as well. He was a beekeeper. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, and then on my dad's side, um, uh, the Patrick there, he, he drove the train from Nashville to Chattanooga. And that was like the, so his, his uh, nickname was Choo Choo Daddy, which I think is like one of the best, <laughs> like, like grandparent names. Um, and 
Yeah. So, so my dad uh, and my mom met in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. So my dad had like a, a clothing business and my mom was going to school there. And it's like, there was just people that were hanging out in the, uh, in the clothing store. And then anyway, kind of, you know, long story short, got married. And then my grandfather on my mom's side, uh, mom, Mike, he has radio stations. And so they had, they went and ran a radio station up in um, Illinois. Um, and my dad quickly learned that he didn't like radio, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just like it, it was like so many dynamics, like, you know, he said that you could stand out on the corner and hand out $1 bills and you're going to, you know, make someone mad, you know, <laughs> sort of like this political, like, like no matter what you did, there was going to be someone that had an opinion. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I was only there for a couple of weeks and then we moved back to, to Nashville and that's really where I grew up until yeah, I went to school. Do they tell you about what it was like living there before they took you to Nashville? Not really. I mean, I, you know, I heard little like bits and pieces about, you know, Decatur and like him doing, um, you know, sale, like advertising sales for the the station and, and stuff like that. But I think it was only sort of a snapshot when they were there. Why did they move to Nashville? Um, that's where our family is from. So like, um, like, a, you know, a lot of, um, have a lot of cousins, like, well, you know, like uh, all my dad's family is from there and my mom's family is from just outside of Nashville. Oh. So that's kind of nice. I, I, I grew up in a place where I didn't have any immediate family nearby. Mm-hmm. And so I had this one friend growing up that, uh, she and her whole family, um, uh, came to the U S and they all got houses on the same street. So it's like the whole street was just like her aunts and uncles and everything. And I just remember looking at that and I was like, oh, that's different. (laughs) Like, that's very different than my my style of like, I need to drive two hours to see anybody nearby. So were your were your cousins like like your friends and and nearby kind of like your friends at school, like they, they were just there nearby? Yeah, I mean, we went to different schools, but it was always great to see like all my cousins, and there was a ton of them. Um, and I think that as a family, you know, we were very tight, and so there was lots of big gatherings at holidays, and you know, um, going on summer vacations. So my dad he would trade um, reels of cable for um, access to a houseboat. And like the whole family would go out there and we just park the houseboat in the middle of a lake in kind of like Eastern Tennessee and, uh, you know, just hang out and like have little, you know, uh, cookouts and uh, go uh, water skiing and, you know, do things like that. That sounds like so much fun. It was, yeah, it was a great, I mean, it it was really hot. (laughs) It was was super fun to be out there. And um, that's just like, you know, what we would do. He would, uh, all of the docks of my, my dad sold industrial cables and so all the docks would have cables and stuff like that and then I remember we would drive um, up there and we'd have like a big reel of cable in the back w- with like all of our bags and stuff like that and then <laughs> we'd get a forklift and like take the cable out and then give us the boat <laughs> that's a good trade <laughs> yeah I, I heard once um uh, uh somebody said I would go on vacation and my dad would trade the vacation um for giving golf lessons while he was there like he was a golf teacher oh, and he would give awesome. golf lessons and then the rest yeah. of the family could enjoy the vacation <laughs> that's great yeah I so, think anytime you know like I do that now like you know we 
went to we spent a month in Argentina and I was working with our team there and like wow. the kids were able to go in and like we were learning Spanish and um, you know things like that so I think it's probably pretty common what was a, I, I know we were chatting about that like when we were emailing back and forth to, to plan this what was the month in Argentina like that's very different than Nashville <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's very different than Atlanta. Um, yeah it was it was wonderful it's like such an amazing you know, country. It's like a really, it's a country with a complicated history. It's a country that uh, is full of, you know, people that have fled from from other parts of the world. And there's so many um, different sort of nationalities that have all come. And so in, in that way, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the United States. Um, but, you know, we've been growing our team there for about the past like year and a half. And just being able to kind of meet people after you've only known them over Zoom and um like the coffee was amazing and <laughs> you know just sort of walking around and seeing the architecture and I think for the kids um you know they had sort of a, a mixed experience where you know I'm I'm doing Duolingo and you know I'm I kind of have like my routines and stuff but they were um you know it's like their first time to try to speak another language or like you know, there's a universal language of tags. So that's one of the things that um, Patrick would play when he was out there uh, oh, on the yeah. playgrounds and stuff like that. <laughs> and um, so it was uh, it was a great way, though, to, uh, I think, just travel with the family and, you know, be able to see something different. And so so how long were you in Nashville? Was that kind of like your formative years before? Yeah, college? I would say. Yeah. So basically all through. You know, from like probably a couple weeks old uh, until I I left uh, for college. If you were to tell somebody what it was like growing up there, what do you think that you would say? I would say the Nashville you know today is not the Nashville <laughs> that uh, I grew up with. So Nashville was never a destination for bachelorette parties. <laughs> uh, hot chicken is not a thing. Uh, that's my hot take for today that uh, hot chicken was really something that sort of like came about in the last 15 years. And, yeah. um, you know, the food scene in Nashville was more like, you know, frozen pizza and Budweiser. Um, really? And, oh, I mean, like there was like little restaurant, like amazing meat and threes. And that's probably one of the things that I think is the most tragic is that um, there is a lot of family run, you know, businesses and family run restaurants that, um, you know, there's a couple that are hanging on, uh, like one of my favorites, it's called hog heaven. It was just like a little shack behind like the McDonald's next to the park. And I would go and order this, uh, sandwich. It was like onion roll on top, pulled Turkey with red and white sauce, two pickles and cornbread on the bottom. It was the most amazing sandwich. <laughs> I've been ordering that since I was 15, but you know, they, um, with all of the sort of the, how popular Nashville has become, I think a lot of the, what, what people started going there for has been, been going away. There's still like, there's a, there's a place called Arnold's um, that's a meet and three, uh, which is kind of more what I would associate with, uh, with the Nashville of my growing up. And also like, I, I really shunned it like growing up, like I shunned, like, like I'm not into country music and if you just <laughs> want to think about like, like big hair and rhinestones and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Like that's, there was a lot of that there. I think the other side of it there is that people don't realize that it's um, like the three main industries are basically like Bible publishing, insurance, and music. And so like, uh, and no one in my family is like, you know, into music. My dad did grow up next to um, Roy Orbison 
And so he used oh, to really? go over and like sit on Roy Robertson's um, uh, front porch or whatever. And my my grandmama, she didn't like, uh, she was like, why are you going to, that, that man looks weird. He's got weird glasses. I don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> and they would just be hanging out. Um, but it was cool to, um, so it was very common to have like neighbors that were songwriters and kind of working musicians in a very like approachable way. That's so interesting. Whenever um, I think about that kind of stuff, like I remember somebody did a tour of all of the different parts of Nashville, but it was like within the last five years and he yeah. was driving around. It was a, a guy who um, is a songwriter, but he's not very popular. Like he'll help other people uh, hmm. write songs and he's like done so much. And he was driving around and he was pointing out all of the different places where people work like to me they looked mm -hmm. like office buildings but they were like yeah. yeah like Shania Twain like that's where she goes yeah, yeah. and all of that yep. and it's just crazy because I think the thing is that it just all looked very normal um mm -hmm. like they just looked like buildings but then like yeah like, some of the biggest country music stars are there all the time working yeah yeah <laughs> that was something that like I totally didn't appreciate growing up and yeah. was, um and not like but just like really um, Chet Atkins like Chet Atkins is you know this legend and um, it was you know it's like my tutor's husband uh, like he made guitars for Chet Atkins and he would just sort of be around and <laughs> so it was like that kind of stuff which I feel like was really special to at least uh, to kind of be there for well also you uh, to you that was normal like yeah yeah where I was growing up we had this like amazing amusement park but I thought um, every town had an amazing amusement <laughs> park. <laughs> it was a, a Dorney Park and Wildwater Kingdom. That was the name oh. of the amusement park. And uh, um, I, I don't know. I didn't think that much of it. And then I would go to other towns. I'm like, where's your amusement park? <laughs> Where are your we roller coasters? <laughs> we had an amusement park called um, Opryland, uh, oh. which they've now turned into a... Um, like a mall which then now has been shut down um but it had like you know all the log rides and there was like you know they had um like all sorts of dancing and people like doing stuff and um so that was a fun place but when I was a kid I actually like I really uh I wanted to move to California like I just thought my dad had a friend in LA and I just thought it was like the coolest place in the world and I remember going there in like kindergarten and being like I'm gonna move to California and um <laughs> just thinking that like that was the place when you were kind of in um middle school age it's interesting to think about like you you just very early on start thinking about what your life might be like after school and what your life might be like when you get to decide um what to do and so what were your hopes around like 13 14 years old if you remember You know, I think for me, I struggled so much in school that it was like even just trying to get out of school uh, was probably the number one thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I wanted to build things and um, I didn't I was I didn't want to go down probably a corporate path. Like I didn't think like, oh, I'm going to go and be like a lawyer or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I, was, I would say it was probably a little bit more um, just vague. I remember um, you said that you went through like seven different schools within mm -hmm. 
your growing up time that's that's a lot on a kid to go through that much change yeah it was it was a lot of change it was also um i think and and it took me a while to kind of come to terms with it but uh you know and and i and i see parents now and also just as a parent um trying to understand sort of who you are as a kid and as a person um school didn't know what to do with me so you know i started off in like a public school and they were like oh mason's a little different like i don't know if we can best you know work with him and so then i went to a catholic school and they like the nuns would take me down into the basement and try to teach me how to read and it was like just as horrifying as you think it sounds like it was like dark basement and then like and they were trying to do their best like this was their mission work and you know i have such respect for people that you know really are trying to make it better make the world better but (laughs) just learning how to read and like it was sort of dark and um and then they were like well you know maybe he should go to back to public school where they have a resource program and then when i got to public school you know, for the second time, it was um, really big classrooms. And I didn't, um, didn't know anybody. And like, I basically just fell through the cracks and spent like most of the year kind of under my desk, um, drawing um, plans for forts and uh, (laughs) making drawings for computers. And um, it was about that time that they I was I was tested uh, for like, uh, ADHD and dyslexia and they're like oh well there's you know this guy's kind of thinking about things a little bit differently um and yeah it just it, it was always like I, I think it takes me a long time to process stuff and it's um you know something that I even uh that that I've been able to work through but you know um even now I have someone else read all of my emails um and I, uh, you know, in college, like I had my mom read all of my papers that I was going to turn in um, and just trying to like find these systems to to work around. Um, and I, you know, now like um, uh, it's just I, I th- there was a time in high school and I was getting ready to um, to graduate. And, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. and I hadn't gotten into any colleges or anything like that. And um, I was at like this. Uh, retreat with my school and like all the parents were supposed to send you know letters to your kid and like the letter that I got from my mom which was I think um, really important for me was it was just a simple statement and it says um, no matter where you go in the world know that you're loved and um, it it really hit me um, because I didn't um, sorry like no no it's okay it, it um um just to be able to have that vote of confidence um and i think that you know my parents never gave up on me um so yeah that's you know even um it just took me a long time to kind of become comfortable with myself and to be able to Uh, The other thing that my mom told me was like, just recognize your strengths and then bring people into your life around you that can complement your weaknesses. And I think if I've been able to do anything as, you know, in my work and, and the types of, you know, businesses that I try to, to build, it's that I, I'm really confident in what, and I'm, what I'm good at. You know, I love, I love playing with ideas. I love having like I think about building products like a songwriter. Like I have so many things that I want to build. 
and so many things that I want to do. And then the other thing that I've become really good at is like recognizing strengths within other people and the things that, you know, how they can go in and, you know, do great things in the world and how to be sort of like a coach on the sidelines to encourage that. And then finding ways to to sell that, like there, you know, sales is often viewed as sort of a four letter word. And <laughs> I, I think that it's really, it's not about trying to trick people. It's not about just trying to, you know, get the highest price or anything like that. It's really, it's about trying to um, understand that person's challenge and their problem and like how you can go in and address it. Mm-hmm. I, c- I can tell you that, uh, um, when I was when I was a kid around that same age, um, I was very hyperactive, um, <laughs> and I was a problem. And I did a little bit of that school switching too um, yeah. when I was young. Uh, also, I think it had to do with like I wasn't old enough, and they just kept on pushing me around, like yeah. between Catholic school and between um, yep. uh, uh, public school. And um, uh, it was so bad that uh, they. Uh, they had to test me to see if I was deaf because um, <laughs> I wasn't listening. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> like they they had those like um uh um uh, hearing tests that they would test all of the kids um like yep. before or after recess or something, and I failed like miserably. <laughs> And they they tried to get me set up with like a appointment to evaluate if I needed a cochlear implant, um and. Uh, I, the, the doctor was my neighbor and I could hear his voice coming from down the hall. I said, oh, it's Mr. Like Brown or something like that. And, uh, my mom said, I don't think she's deaf. (laughs) 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 Like it was, it was crazy. Like people like address kids like that. Like they're a problem when they're just being kids. Like, um, I had another another doctor um tried to convince my mom to put me on Ritalin because I was um uh, such a problem, <laughs> and and I think honestly like one of the best things that she's done for me in my life was not filling that prescription and she was like you know I think I'm gonna let her be a kid. <laughs> she's okay. <laughs> That's awesome. So I highly relate to this. <laughs> yeah, I th- you know again I think that um school can and, and and just listening to your podcast you know you go and listen to a lot of people have like such various backgrounds and you know the the sort of challenges that they're working through and um you know from all the way to the stream of like I'm now also just know like I read like I spell and so I don't know like I I have a difficult time like even saying names um Kabarza, am I getting? Oh this yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Kabarza, yeah. you got it. Uh, oh man, like his story is like so amazing, and I thought your interview with him was just like, you know, fantastic. And you know, even like Nelson talking about how, you know, it took him a while to kind of like find his his group and and things like that. And uh, you know, I th- I think that become that that it comes this thing where you know you, um, you see the world differently. And ultimately that becomes a strength, you know, because in, in like, in, in all of these big businesses are like, we need to think outside the box or, you know, it's like even the, you know, the Apple thing of like, think different or whatever, but like school is not designed for think different. School is not designed today for, for think outside the box. And I think it, it creates a challenge. And I think that, you know, um, for 
for kids that don't have that, then, you know, and I can't remember like exactly what the statistic is, but it's like, you know, for kids that grow up with dyslexia, like they have a, and, and it's not treated, like they have a higher rate of going to prison and, you know, going into kind of like the penal system and things on those lines. Um, and, you know, cognitive diversity is so important, um, you know, and I think trying to find just like, what's that thing that, you know, everyone can be really great at and like where they can contribute. Um, it's, it's definitely interesting looking at things differently because, um, my dad has dyslexia and, uh, one thing that's kind of crazy about him is that, um, he's like, my, my mom has told me he, he doesn't describe himself this way, but my mom tells <laughs> me that he's like, he's like a genius programmer. Um, oh, wow. and he, he works with these big companies and, um, put, th puts things together for them and, uh, a lot of logistics and putting things together and, and programming and, and growing up, I would just always see like a, a big screen and just weird code on, on the screen, never yeah. really understanding yeah. what it was, but just knowing that that's what dad did. And um, yeah, there, I think there, I think there might be something about that, that just makes him so smart when it comes to like what he's focusing on and what he does there. So yeah, it's like cognitive diversity, I guess. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it like it it kind of made me better at sales uh ultimately yeah. like um because I got used to like and this might sound weird but like I got sort of used to rejection or you know I had to go in and find way to to work with the teacher um mm. as opposed to like the teacher kind of having an understanding of like how to work with me mm -hmm. and um it became sort of a little game of like how could I make sure <laughs> that like I was <laughs> passing my classes or getting a good enough grade or um and it got me comfortable with you know, not always being right. I think that if there's a, you know, you know, I've, I've witnessed some people that they're so used to getting right, or they're so, so used to having straight A's or, you know, um, that there's this ideal of perfection. And so now like, I'm probably like, one of my strengths is like, I'm not worried about getting a straight A. Like if something doesn't go well, then it's just, I'm like, all right, well, we'll, I'll keep working. Um, and even, even things like I, you know, I hear hear stuff on on Twitter sometimes around like uh the feeling of imposter syndrome and for me I actually I've, I was thinking about it on one of my runs and I don't um I don't feel imposter syndrome so much as I just feel like I haven't gotten there yet and I just mm. have like more work that I have to be able to do and um you know and I've and I definitely feel that I feel like that all the time you know if everything I'm doing I'm like okay there's still more work to be done there's like I'll look at it just about anything that that I've ever made and I'll see like the improvements that need to need to happen there I think I was definitely one of those kids that um it was kind of like I was in your situation but like the exact opposite like I got mm. so much out of the structure of school and I got so much mm. out of um my grades like totally validating mm. who I was as a person that yeah. when I wasn't in a school system anymore it's almost like I didn't know what to do I didn't yeah. know how to go about life without this like validation of getting an A or, or passing something and it was really hard and then I think I transferred that to um work of making hmm. something and something hmm. being done and completing it and hmm. that has helped a bit but yeah I was I was probably uh the opposite but doesn't mean it's good I guess well, I <laughs> yeah yeah and I think there's like that kind of like um you know that sort of hit of like you know 
awesome. Like I, you know, it's like the bell rings. You're like, I did a great job. I did a great job. And and I still like, I love like, you know, I, I love when I do stuff that's really, really good or whatever, or we want to pitch or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and yeah. And so um, when you're wrapping up school and when you're um, in your last couple of months of, of high school, um, what was that like for you? Like, what kind of things were you concerned about? What were you thinking about? I had no idea what I wanted to do. And there's a lot of people, and I'm sure this is like very common of just sort of like, what are you going to do next? And I think this also happens at the end of college, right? So it's like, what's the big job you're going to go and get? And um, I knew that I wanted to get out of the South and mostly because, you know, uh, I, I wanted to, I guess, uh, just see other parts of the world. Uh, and, you know, be like, I'm, I, I had this idea of like, I really wanted to get out to Colorado. Um, I wanted to, um, you know, be out in the mountains. And for me, like, as I have all these cousins and, you know, they play football or they, you know, they're very much like, like literally playing, you know, college football and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, my parents thought they were like, oh, you know, maybe you could go to like Old Miss or something along those lines. And I'm sure Old Miss is like a, a great school um, or, you know, like University of Tennessee, but it was just like, I was worried about one getting lost in a big school. Um, mm-hmm. And then also, within this point, just trying to, um, you know, like, just like, I think, make that break for myself to, um, I think, to start to form, form my identity. Um, and I think if it wasn't for my, you know, so my, my parents really, you know, they, they believed I should go to, to school, and even though I had no idea what I wanted to do. My dad never went to college. And, um, so he, he was like, if you don't go to college, you know, you're going to be behind. And you know, that's the whole, like, there's a, a debate there, but, um, yeah. So I just, um, I ended up taking a step back and, um, you know, also like all of this is going on and like, I'm doing horrible on the SATs and the S like standardized testing in me, like do not go hand in hand, you know, <laughs> there it's like not a thing that I'm very good at. Um, but I ended up just going to kind of a community college in Nashville. And I was like, okay, because I wanted to go to, to the University of Colorado. And for whatever reason, I just had picked that. I'd also, I was like, there's, you know, I was, I was like, it'd be cool to go, go to school in Vermont or something like that. Or just like, I just wanted to live somewhere else. Um, but I was yeah. like, if I got to live somewhere else, then I'm going to go to school. And, um, but that wasn't um, the, like the rejection letter came pretty quickly. Like I didn't, like they were like, yep uh you know this is probably not a fit and um I took a step back and I was like okay well I'm just going to get a plan and I learned that you know you could go to a community college and um you know get you know grades to a certain level and then be able to transfer uh out to you know another school and so I was like that's what I'm going to do I didn't research the school that I was going to go to a whole lot really and I just (laughs) And I was just like, okay, community college, liberal arts, um, done. Like I'm, I'm good. And, um, it was Aquinas college in Nashville, which is like not far from my house. And it was like a small classroom. So I was like, okay, cool. So small classrooms. Um, but it's also where like all of the nuns went to go and get like their educational degrees. And so like, I just sort of showed up and I was like, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of sisters walking around. 
and um yeah and they were my classmates um that's wild yeah and you know like they were just kind of you know 18 to 23 24 year old women that just happened to like this was the path they were going on and um you know like really mission driven and um uh, but anyway so like I uh you know went to school there and um it was small class sizes I I feel like I actually got an amazing education there was um a teacher there is named Professor Judge and he um he was really into comparative literature um I I wrote a whole lot I love to write I'm a horrible speller and I love to write um and yeah I, I was able to you know do that I had started a business I started a landscaping business and um my landscaping was like not cutting grass like I was you know doing <laughs> <laughs> um there's all these like really beautiful old homes in Nashville and I was able to go in and kind of get in with the the like ladies of leisure uh in Bellmead and um like start to work within the different gardens and stuff like that. Mm. And I didn't know anything about roses or like gardening or really anything. I'm, I kind of saw some stuff, but um, yeah, but it was a really amazing way to like spend um, time when I wasn't in school. And then also just learned kind of the fun part of running a business. Didn't, uh, didn't your mom uh, run a, plant business yeah so she she well I, I guess I, that was probably the she did so um and and it was actually my grandmother's business called living plants oh, really? uh, originally um it was on my dad's side her, her his his mom and um yeah so but it wasn't like it wasn't a landscaping business so like it was more akin to like a janitorial service like we mm -hmm. would go into all of these office buildings around Nashville and like water their plants and speaking of like like we would go into the recording studios we would go into all of the like record labels and stuff like that and wow. there would be um, a big cart that she pushed around that had like the the water in it and then I would be given the job of um, taking the water buckets and like going and getting more water and then bringing them over to her and then sometimes I would get lost uh, that's part of my ADHD <laughs> is that like it's like sometimes like I'll just forget what I'm doing or what I'm supposed to be doing um so that was a lot of adventuring for a kid. Yeah, I, I've, um, I guess, always like I, I enjoy a good adventure, um, and yeah. you know, adventure is misery in retrospect. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, like when you get lost when you're when you're driving, um, yeah, you're like oh, yeah, you're remember like, that? You're like it wasn't fun in the moment. <laughs> it wasn't fun in the moment, but man. Um, and you know, I will actually tell myself that sometimes I'm like, it's, it's a, "This is an adventure." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what what was it like going to school with nuns? That's such a unique experience to have for two years. Yeah, it was so wild. Um, I mean, admittedly, I did have a crush on Sister Rosemary. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like that was sort of weird, and I never like. <laughs> I never like made my move or anything, but I just admired her from kind of across the classroom, which is like, you know, just imagine seeing someone that's like, you know, really intelligent and very well spoken and, you know, very attractive. They just happen to, you know, have a habit. And 
so but it, they they kind of like stayed to themselves and mm. then there was like the, the everyone else so it wasn't I would say it's probably like 50 50 and I did meet some good friends there and um you know I, yeah um uh, they would just kind of like roll up in the nun bus and then they would go Wait, do their what? thing and they all they all came <laughs> the in the bus <laughs> Yeah. Wait, what? I'm sorry. Yeah, they all came in like a little bus and then they would all just kind of get out from the convent. And um yeah, and I'm just sitting there like writing papers and and the other half of the population was um, you know, people that were trying to go back to school and you know, I'd say like, you know, trying to get a nursing degree, like trying to better themselves, um, you know, just trying to like break out of like whatever like their sort of like current situation was and then you know, like a couple people like myself that were, you know, there to get an associate's degree. I actually never got an associate's degree because I didn't want to take like the, the religious classes, um, oh. which looking back, it was like, if I had done that, then I could have avoided taking Spanish classes in college. Um, <laughs> not that I like, I just, I was like, it would have been easier. Um, it would have streamlined some stuff. Probably helps you now a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm like a hundred. I'm I'm two hundred and forty four days in on Duolingo. Oh, so nice. I'm, I'm like practicing every day my Spanish, and I'm if nothing else trying to empathize with my team that's you know working in a second language, and you know, um, I think for anyone that does that, I have such an immense amount of respect, um, and I'm basically still at like, you know, I want to eat an apple you know like yoko momentana <laughs> like, like just like real basics where is the library <laughs> yeah exactly i'm not even gonna like embarrass myself with the spanish that i'm even working on i um i have a very good friend uh that is puerto rican and uh it's really funny because a lot of his friends um who are in puerto rican don't don't speak spanish um sometimes they would greet him and you're like <laughs> they'd be like where is the library and he's like you're not <laughs> pressing me dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh I mean I, it's I'm I'm gonna get there and like my I I I definitely improved over the summer I was just like definitely more uh more more improvement on the way one of my my funniest uh language memories ever was um growing up I would take French classes in school mm. And my French teacher kind of knew that most of us were not going to remember anything years from now, like 10 years from now, we probably won't remember much from his class. Um, and so he said, I'm going to make you say this phrase over and over every single day at the beginning and end of the class, because I want you to at least have something. <laughs> okay. And this, the, um, the phrase was, on sandwich bear de cacao et confiture, which means yeah. peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably i probably phrased that badly if anybody who understands french is listening to this i'm so sorry <laughs> but you're, for you're some for some reason um my french teacher just like that was his favorite phrase of all time and so we had to learn it every day and i had it for like i think two years so wow <laughs> but it's it worked i remember it yeah yeah well there you go i mean um yeah, uh, this summer, like I was out at dinner and um, like someone, they came and brought our food or whatever. And so 
like for whatever reason, like um, I just said, instead of saying like, you know, muchas gracias or something like that, I said like, buenos dias. And like, it was just like, <laughs> it was, like the wrong thing to say. It was dinner and uh, I was just getting the language mixed up in my head. <laughs> yeah, I, um, uh, I'm learning like a very little bit of, of Serbian. And so I did mm. a stupid thing recently where like, you know how um, uh, uh, we say like night night to somebody saying like goodbye. Okay. Um, yeah. Instead, I said dark, dark. <laughs> <laughs> i think it was a uh, um uh noch noch dark dark and oh, they just looked okay. at me and they're like no emily because <laughs> i said i'm like don't you guys say night night like we were saying goodbye on the phone call and they said emily that's not right <laughs> that's funny i don't know i i think i only would say like night night to like my kids so i don't maybe that's maybe that's the thing from pennsylvania <laughs> maybe yeah, I, I think the the funny thing, um, like we didn't have I don't I don't think I ever saw a nun bus, but uh in where I'm from, uh I would see a lot of like horse and buggies and everything. Oh, like yeah. the yeah. Amish people from Lancaster. And yeah. um I don't know, I thought that was like pretty normal. And then <laughs> I talked to other people and they're like, What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I went to Lancaster maybe two summers ago and um it was wild to just see like the buggies and um saw two women walking back and they were like in kind of I don't know like how you would describe the clothing um yeah but there's like they... a lace um uh yeah. little bonnet thing and then like floor length skirts yeah, yeah. Um, but they were coming back from Starbucks and so they just had like their <laughs> Starbucks like little like the to-go tray or whatever and they were like oh, that... bringing it back for everyone yeah that is so fun. And then they like brought it into the, oh, they don't, I guess they don't have um the same, uh, uh, oh, what's it called? You know, in your car where you have the, the mug things. Yeah. They might have yeah. that. <laughs> it, who knows? Yeah, they were just like, they're walking on the side of the road and they you know, had their like Starbucks and they were, I was like, man, their ice is going to melt by the time they, they get to where they need to go. <laughs> that is funny. I um I watched something recently. Uh, there's this. Uh, you might actually really like it. There's this uh, channel I found called um, Seek Discomfort. I don't know if you ever heard hmm. of them. It's these yeah. two guys that like go and try different things. And one day oh. they decided, um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and we're gonna yeah. ask every family that we see if we can spend like 48 hours with them just to document <laughs> what it's like yeah. to be. Amish and what it's like to to live their life and they asked all these families and one family said yes and they were like the most lovely family talking to them about their life yeah. there were all these things uh that they had like assumptions and then they were totally wrong and it was just mm -hmm. such a cool thing to do and yeah. like the, the guy that was there in the family he like gave them all their clothes so they could like dress up in in attire oh, and wow. like have the full experience it was so yeah. cool <laughs> wow well, and I, I think it probably just points to, you know, there's this idea of otherness and that, you know, sometimes that we can go in and start to make presumptions about people you know, just by, you know, the way that they're dressed or whatever. And, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of feeling that way when you're in high school and you're like, don't know which table to sit at. And then you go to Lancaster and then you see like, you know, people that seem very other. And I think it's tough sometimes to just kind of remember like, no, you know, we're, we're all people. Um, we all are trying to find ways to relate to one another and kind of just make it through the world and you know do things that that will uh, make our lives better and make you know maybe the world better. I think being on this podcast has, has helped a lot because I um, 
I, I when I was growing up I used to I never really thought that I would ever leave the U.S. unless I went yeah. on like a study abroad trip or like something like that it seemed like too out there and something like yeah. other people did to go on these extravagant vacations and everything um and then uh talking to people on my podcast and like just seeing how normal life is growing up I used to think that that was like another planet like going to France oh, yeah. was like something I would never be able to do so out there and crazy and um I don't know talking to people uh in in other parts of the world it's just very very cool time zones can be weird but yeah (laughs) it's very cool definitely a thing (laughs) uh well that was the thing I was really amazed about by Argentina was just like how like it felt very comfortable and you know I don't know like not foreign in some ways, but then like super foreign in in other ways. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's wild to just sort of like parachute down and then start to see something. I remember, you know, after school, um, my my wife and I did an around the world trip, and we went to two different places. I, I wanted to go to Spain and see a friend that was um, he was uh, he was in Mallorca at the time, and he was he invited us over to stay with him. And I was like, yeah, this sounds great. Uh, we'll go hang out on the beach. And my wife really wanted to go to China. And so we compromised Whoa. and we did, and we did both. <laughs> so, wow. um, and, um, but it like, that was the, the time where it was probably like the most, um, like so different where, you know, you can't even kind of like, just like, like the lettering is different and the characters and then kind of going into a communist country and, um, seeing real poverty. That was something that like, I hadn't like really deep, um, poverty, um, and I just remember thinking like, man, I've won the lottery, like just being able to be born in America and being born in like the situations that, that I I have been um, and, you know, just how different um, so much of the world is from like our kind of like known experiences. Growing up, did you think that like the way that you lived was very normal and that um, kind of, it would be a little crazy to think that the other people in the world didn't live like you did because that's how I felt growing up. I thought like, Absolutely. oh, I'm normal. Everybody else is yeah. normal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think as a kid, you know, your world is like this big. Your world is, you know, a couple blocks. It's where you can ride your bike or what you see or, you know, the people that you're interacting with. And then, and I think that if if more people kind of had that sense of perspective, um, you know, even like when in Argentina, like, you know what, like people wear masks everywhere because they're, you know, like for COVID and things like that, like it was not an issue, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's because they're not trying to politicize or kind of like have this division around something that's like fairly superficial, you know, Mm -hmm. like they have like bigger challenges, like hyperinflation, like 60, 90% inflation. And you're trying to live through that. And I think that when we lose perspective to what's you know, important and real. And that's where I think you start to see this kind of the societal challenges that we have today. What was it like when you like touched down and you you were walking around in this country that like previous you only really saw in the news or you only really like heard about? Yeah, I had no idea like what to expect. And it was the same thing like flying in, like flew into Bangkok first and then flew to China. And um the density of the city was something that probably hit me. Um, you know, just like so everything was so tightly 
kind of like packed in in a very haphazard looking way. Um, I would say the smell of the air was probably the first thing that hit me. And really? just like, there is this underlying kind of like, like, I don't know, metallic um, type of smell. And, um, you know, feeling like, um, you know, so walk out of the plane and then go and like exchange currency at this point and like, uh, I think we exchanged like a thousand US or whatever. It was like went to like a little place and um, there was a lot of military people around and it was like a really big deal um, for us to, because there weren't, this was like 2000. I don't know how many people were like really flying in to China at the time, but, um, and uh, we also weren't, we were in uh, Yunnan province, which isn't like, it's not one of the big um uh, it's not like you know Bangkok or anything like that. Um, so it was a little bit more off the beaten path. And um, just everything just being so different and so foreign and um, kind of hitting you all at once and kind of still being like kind of waking up to a lot of different things. Um, those were the things that I probably remember immediately. And it was later on where you could just see that um, there is like no guardrails you know there was no like safety was like a thing that felt very american um really? at, yeah like driving around and things along those lines and at least at this point um you know there uh like there weren't stop signs like people would just kind of like go and then and like just kind of make their way through like a big um muddle of of cars and so scary. <laughs> yeah and then we were driving up in the mountain area and um they were building the interstates and we were on a um a gravel road and i remember seeing all of these holes kind of like they're about maybe a foot and a half by a foot and a half just like dig dug into the side and then there was like these um air tubes that were coming out and then what i realized is that every single one of those air tubes was like a person that was like in that hole um jackhammering um and you know we're just driving and just seeing like you know like that that sort of um hyper growth like all of a sudden and you know just a lot of the you know there's a lot of the things that you would just sort of expect like you know seat belts or just things along those lines were just not um present what was your wife's uh drive to go to china in in 2000 what, what was she so drawn to that she wanted to go uh, she had written a paper about China really? in high school and then she was like, I want to go. And so she started doing <laughs> it. She does a lot of research as well. So you would get along with her. Like she had just started to look at <laughs> uh, different parts. And this was, um, there is a, it's the most, so Yunnan is one of the most um, ethnically diverse areas of China. And then there's all these different um, kind of small populations. There's one, which was, uh, there was a town that we went to that was, um, uh, how do I say this? Like, uh, uh, there's was it? It was a matriarchal society. That's what I was trying mm -hmm. to say. And um, I just remember walking around, and then we like walked up this random hill or whatever, and we were actually we were with this French company and the um, couple, and they spoke some um, Mandarin, and we just like knocked on this door of a random house, and they would ask like, "Hey, can we have lunch? We'll pay you." <laughs> <laughs> and um the um the woman that was sort of in charge of the the group or whatever came and she sort of talked with them and then there she was like okay and she let us in 
And, but it was really wild seeing this, this matriarchal society and just like how this one little population um, worked uh, inside of China. What'd you have for lunch? Do you, do you remember? Or yeah, you it experience? was like, it, uh, yeah, it was um, these kind of like fried um, like dough balls. And then there was some sort of uh, pork um, and there was uh, a rice and um yeah i remember looking over at one point and within like the the ball things that they had made and there was like a centipede that was like crawling out <laughs> and so <laughs> my wife was just like i'm not eating that i was like it's really good though <laughs> you know but we were just like it, it was a cinder block room and like wow. it, it had three sides and then one side that was open to you know the elements and we were just kind of sitting there and trying to communicate the best that we could um and yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It's like, uh, it's like what do you mean? It's just extra protein. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the side of so like, <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> it's no big deal. Yeah, um, but it was. I, but I, you know, I kind of you know look back on it now and, and really grateful, as I was saying, just to be able to have like that second perspective and then being able to see like you know a lot of the gifts that we have as a country, but also a lot of the things that we've just pushed off into other countries, you know, and we, mm. like, I remember studying economics and hearing about externalities and like not really understanding what an externality really meant, like where you're taking the cost of something and then you're passing that on to someone else. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, what we experience in the United States is like, you know, we're, we're able to go and have you know, cities with less pollution and things along those lines, but then we're, you know, we're buying things from countries that, you know, are polluting a whole lot or, you know, aren't, you know, don't have the the human rights and and things along those lines and being able to experience that firsthand, it was really eye-opening. Sometimes when I think about um, opportunity and things like that, uh, especially um, doing things online and everything, mm -hmm. uh, there was a time period where I was like, well, I don't understand, like, uh, why can't everybody do this? Like, this is so cool. Yeah. Webflow <laughs> for the world. And I know, yeah. Like that yeah. was my, my thought. And then I started um, like seeing how, how difficult it is to um, for, for some people to even like leave their country and get like approval mm -hmm. to go sure. to a different country. And uh, um, okay. So you have a job here, but like, are they going to pick you to stay? Yeah. Or yeah. even though you're good at your job, like, are they even going to pick you? And so it's just so wild that like, I don't know it's just like they're another person and mm -hmm. I don't know they're living the same year I am they're looking at the same moon that I'm looking at yeah. and their their experience is totally different and it's totally out of their control yeah it's just wild yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. and I think um trying to again kind of go back to this idea of otherness and like having an open mind when you're, you know, meeting people and then going back and even trying to understand like what they're sort of working through for where they are within, you know, where they are right now and, and the world and within their lives. Um, now that can be sometimes hard when someone cuts you off or does something or whatever and you <laughs> and react, react emotionally, uh, which I've, I've done numerous times. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm a very um vocal driver, but I don't let other people hear me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably for the best. Yeah, just get it out of your system and don't let it affect your your driving. Yeah. Well, I think it's uh, driving is one of these 
places where people will act um, kind of irrationally and not because it de like, you know, you have this thing and you're sort of like, you know, the rest of the world has dehumanized and it's like, you know, you look at the way that people will get so fired up about something like, you know, someone maybe cut off in front of you or whatever it might be. And it's like, if we were just standing next to one another and someone said like, Hey, do you mind if I walk in front of you for just a minute? You'd be like, <laughs> sure, whatever. But you know, that's, um, not how things work in cars. And I think it's a, actually a problem within technology in general, where, you know, sometimes we can become so enamored with the technology that we forget that the reason why we created the technology was to just try to be able to, you know, communicate with one another, connect with one another. Yeah. It gets, uh, sometimes it can be extremely overwhelming. Like yeah. some things are created and they're so complex that you don't know what to do with them and they yep. stress you out. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> when it becomes like a whole, you know, the medium is the message type of thing where it becomes a barrier or it becomes a filter in which, you know, you're experiencing the world or we're um, trying to uh, connect to the world. So, so how long were you in China during that time? Uh, maybe two weeks. So maybe two and a half, like something around there. Do you think the you um, flying to China was slightly different than the you flying back from China? I think so. I think it's hard to not be changed after experiencing something like that. And again, just feeling like that there are so many problems and challenges within the world. And there's so many people that are out there and trying to just take advantage of every day and do the best that we can and know that, you know, we're not the center of the universe. I I did want to ask you about your wife and and like how you guys met and and because I know that she's a significant person in your life and and I wanted to know a little bit about how that all started. <laughs> sure, um, we met in a bar, and yeah. uh, again, this is before there were um, you know lots of uh, this is what is it, bachelorette parties that were coming through Nashville. <laughs> this is like the <laughs> Nashville bars. The Nashville bar scene was like there was not a lot that was going on there. Um, but yeah, there was, um, a, a, like, as a group of women that, you know, I could tell were from Vanderbilt, which is like one of the colleges there. And my friend and I, we were just kind of out and like, kind of like literally bumped into her. And the first thing I ever said was, I said was, uh, Hey baby, you ain't got to stop dancing. Um, Um, I was just like messing around or whatever. Um, but she didn't know what to think about. She was like shocked that I would say something like that. What do you um, mean? Like, like, oh, you don't have to stop. Dodge. Don't mind me. Like, was that kind of it? Yeah, it was kind of like she just sort of like bumped into me. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then like, you know, later on in the kind of like went, went about my ways or whatever. And then later on, um her and her friends were sitting at a table and I kind of like walked up and I started talking with them a little bit and at this point I've just like come back from like Colorado like I've I've been out at CU and I'm back and I'm trying to um you know like make my way like to get into tech like the only job that I'd had at this point in tech was cleaning up um office cubes from failed.coms and so I didn't have like there was not a lot not a lot going for me at this point you know um teaching myself flash and stuff like that and um uh sat down and talked with her and like she was kind of finishing her dinner and i was like i was like are you gonna 
you gonna finish that there was like half a sandwich and like a whole bunch of french fries <laughs> and she was like no and i was like can i get this to go <laughs> <laughs> and she was sort of kind of looked at me and anyway talked with her a little bit more and got her phone number and fortunately i got her friend's phone number because she gave me the wrong phone number um and i mean we had like just kind of casual conversations whatever but um i would say that like when we went on our first date i remember that um i remember kind of walking down broadway and thinking that like i can marry this person and um she was the the sweetest person that i'd ever met like just incredibly caring and um you know i i remember like uh you know she had like these um kind of boots on or whatever and just kind of like this um I remember just like her outfit and kind of walking down and all of those sort of lights at Broadway that were still like not you know it was empty um but uh yeah now we didn't get married for like another five years but um, <laughs> that's what what was so special about her that made you think wow like this could this could be the person was it just a feeling were there any words that were connected to it yeah um I think there was um, a sense of like, you know, um, I felt like she saw me and um, for like the good and like my weird parts and all of that all at once and accept me. What was that? So that was like your first date, like going on, on mm-hmm. Broadway? Uh, we went to have dinner someplace and then we just walked kind of from there. Um went to this place called um, Third and Lindsley. Um, it's no longer there. It's actually where the Hyatt is now. That's like downtown. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, they just kind of walked around. And we went to a, um, a place that's down the road from there called the Station Inn and like listened to some really amazing bluegrass. Like the Station Inn, the, um, it, it's where the studio musicians would go after work and hang out. And it's just like a cinder block building and um, had plywood floors and like <laughs> they sell popcorn and Budweiser. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was most of that was that, that evening. Uh, what does that mean when you say that, that she saw you? I don't know. I just, I immediately felt very comfortable with her and I felt like, um, you know, that I didn't, uh, that I could, I could kind of be myself. And I don't know, it's it's like a very intangible feeling. And um, yeah, and I think I was drawn to her, her kindness and just like, obviously like she's really smart and uh, you know, so there's a lot of stuff there. uh, What are, what are her interests other than China? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, she she's a lawyer by trade. So I like so she we work together. Um, she's our in-house counsel, so oh, she nice. does all of our contracts and things on those lines. And um, she loves to research. So anything that like if there's any area or any topic or whatever, like she just really dives into that, and then we'll know like everything about it. I am very much probably on the other side of that, where I am more of like sort of experience driven, where I'll just sort of land someplace and then start to feel my way through there and um yeah and then i think that um i mean she is always kind of looking out after our children and thinking about just like you know and she's trying to pick up on like what they're doing and um how how they're developing as people um and then looking out after 
you know, her family and, you know, her parents are getting older and, you know, things like that. So she seems like she's very in tune with the other people around her. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I, I, I remember uh, reading through your, your story and I remember um, all of these um, points that the two of you went through together, Mm -hmm. um, whether it was um, uh, like going through different jobs to um, health, to all of these things. Do you feel comfortable talking about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, and I think that that's um so in um kind of fast forward you know like we meet um we uh get married and um you know so she had been working at a big law firm um here in atlanta and again like she had been overworking what i would say is in big law firms like it sounds great and and glamorous but you know, it's very much like, it's very much like 80 hours, maybe hundred hours a week. And I think there was a long time where she wasn't necessarily, um, kind of like in tune with like what was going on in, with her body and, and things on those lines. And, um, anyway, she, she left and she, her parents were sort of horrified that she would want to leave this, um, you know, big fancy law firm. Um, and at the time, like I had just started a new job as well. And I had kind of, been able to, um, you know, take some of the things that I had learned, you know, different ways and, and had at this point just kind of gotten a promotion was moving into more of like, um, a management role where I was pitching work and things on those lines. And it was, it was really an exciting time. And I remember I was in a meeting and, um, she had, uh, she was, and she called me and I don't know if you've ever done this or whatever you're like you know you get a call and you sort of ignore it and then you get another call again and you ignore it and um then I was like third time I was like what's going on and so I finally pick it up and I hear her on the other side and she's crying and I'm like Margaret what's going on and she said I have cancer and um that's the moment where like both of our lives changed um and that was the time that's when I you know I, um, she became a cancer patient and I became a caregiver and we'd only been married at this point about a year and a half. So it was still like, you know, we're still trying to understand who we are as people and as a couple and, and things like that. Um, and for anyone that's gone through, um, that where, you know, it, it can be a, a parent, a friend, uh, you know, significant other partner, um, it, it immediately changes your perspective and it immediately changes so much around like how, like what's important within the world. Like all of a sudden it, everything became like, like, like incredibly crisp. Uh, that's, you know, just with, um, I remember waking up the next day and, you know, just kind of feeling like this was supposed to be a dream that I've woken up from, but I'm not. Um, and we started on this, uh, kind of path, like, you know, that at this point we didn't have kids. So trying to, you know, um, trying to have kids was a thing that was all of a sudden potentially going to be off the table, um, just living. So she was, she was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer. Um, and she was actually underdiagnosed in Atlanta. Um, so the first place we went to, she was diagnosed as like, you know, stage two, stage three. And then, um, when we went up to New York, went to Sloan Kettering and they were like, well, it's more like borderline three or four and four is the worst. So for everyone that kind of has a sense there, um, 
And so fortunately, we were able to hustle around. I think the worst part is not knowing um, throughout all of this. And we were able to hustle around and, um, you know, through, you know, her, her dad trying to make phone calls and things along those lines. And he was just getting accepted into a hospital. It's like getting accepted into college almost. Like it's like you almost have to have this certain type of profile and what, Sloan Kettering was interested in was it was like a rare form of cancer within a woman that's 30 years old. Um, and so she was accepted into a study uh, to do an experimental um, protocol. Um, and we, at this point, um, moved to New York and we um, at first had rented a, an apartment. And meanwhile, like I'm still working and um, uh, I had, she didn't, so we had health insurance through my company at that point. And so, you know, just me staying employed was really important. Um, and I just, you know, it's, and I remember going to these doctor's appointments and she's someone again, loves the research. She reads all of the, you know, when they say like the doctor's warnings or whatever, like she's the person that's going to go and read all the, the possible side effects. And it's like really bad side effects, um, side effects like death, you know, <laughs> side effects like, um, you know, just like a, a, a new reality is how, um, a new normal is how they described like the, our, our best case scenario. And um, I remember how, while this sounds really horrible, so I know it sounds like it was like, man, this was, um, we had what I would say are like the best days and like the worst days. And it basically just like slingshotted between those two and how normal a lot of stuff became. So um, starting treatment. So she went through a particular protocol, which was going to be, um, I believe it's 10 rounds of chemo over 16 weeks and a colonoscopy and like all like um, uh, whatever it's called. It's basically like a bag that uh, they attach onto you and things along those lines. Um, and um, between treatments, like we would just like just being able to live in New York, you know, and being able to like walk outside and like, you know, go to the park and like, you know, find little places to eat and, and all that stuff is so wonderful. Um, and we ended up um, moving into a place. So, you know, it's one, it's all like very expensive. We're not, we were still only a couple months in. Um, we worked with a social worker, which was also really humbling. It was like, you know, just, asking for help. I think I remember that hard, one of the hardest things was saying thank you after a while because everyone wanted to help and feeling overwhelmed to even like want to show appreciation of, um, you know, cause it was just always, it was like, you're so vulnerable and you're so kind of at uh, the mercy of, of so many systems, uh, you know, be it like the medical system, the insurance system, you know, family support systems. Um, and um, our social worker was able to get us into something called the Hope Lodge, um, part of the American Cancer Society. And I can't say like enough good things about it. Uh, it's basically a way for us to live rent free uh, in New York uh, wow. while she was going through treatment. And that allowed us to, you know, it was like, OK, well, that's at least one last thing for us to worry about. And it also became sort of a support center. Um, and the, I think probably the other big thing that most people don't realize when one of these things happens is like there's the physical side of this. Um, the healthcare in America is so broken. Um, at my at my job, you know, when I started, they had like Blue Cross Blue Shield, and then like they switched to sort of like an off brand. They're like, oh, you know, some, some bunch of kids, like you know, everyone's going to be healthy, whatever. And we were out of um, network 
to go up there. Um, and so I would get calls like, well, you know, she was in the hospital from the insurance company telling us like, Hey, we're not going to cover this. Um, this procedure that you're about to have is going to be a couple hundred thousand dollars. Like you're going to be personally liable for it. And meanwhile, like I'm just sitting there next to Margaret, who's like, you know, just trying not to die. Um, you know, from either the cancer or the treatments. Uh, so another big thing that happens is like um, uh, an annuary home, basically like a blood clot can break off and then just like kill you um, mm-hmm. while you're going through this. And that actually happened two different times where then she was had to be like admitted. And anyway, um, but um, by three months in, we had had about a million dollars worth of medical bills that, you know, and we're still not through. Uh, we're still at the very beginning of this. Um, and so the other part of this within like the, you know, as you're sort of like thrust into being a caregiver and you're thrust into being a patient is the navigating paperwork. And I am like, not very good at paperwork, you know, and like, but I am very good at hustling around hallways. And so trying to find like whoever it was that manages, um, kind of like they had a, um, they had a program that you could apply to, to basically have your, um, your medical bill forgiven, uh, with, for one year, uh, if you fit into a particular program, uh, because they, they looked at it as part of the research that they did there at the hospital. Um, so we were able to get into that program and, um, that then gave us, and then, you know, the company that I was at, you know, they were trying to do the best they could. Like, they just didn't think like, oh, they didn't read that, you know, cancer treatment wasn't covered within the policy that they had. And something that now I try to like, we are very serious about the policies that we offer, even though they're so wildly expensive and we try to do as much as we can as an employer now. Um, But uh, long story short is that like, you know, she was able to get through it. I learned uh, so much around perspective and, you know, like a couple years later when I was, you know, fired from my job, I was like, well, you know what? It's not cancer. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was like, we'll, we'll make it through. Um, and, and we have. How's she doing now? Great. Yeah. Um, we were able to have two children, which was a thing that we didn't know that we were going to be able to do. Um, because radiation was a thing that we may have had to do as part of the treatment. Um, and, you know, the biggest challenge we have is probably working on the same computer at the same time. Uh, you know, it's like, it's funny kind of working with your partner. Like we have to have like very clear roles. Um, and so, you know, she's really helping to make sure that we're compliant, you know, in terms of, and she's fantastic in terms of just, um, you know, you think you're going to start an agency and it's just going to be about design and working with fun people. And then you get into it and you realize it's really about at a certain level, um, like managing cash flow and negotiating contra- uh, con- contracts. contracts. Yeah. yeah. And how much of that really levers on those two things. And so, you know, she has, we've been able to kind of, um, I would say hit a bit above our belt because, you know, we can go in and talk with a fortune 500 company and, and legitimately like negotiate the master services agreement and come back and like try to make sure that we're, um, uh, guarding ourselves against the risks. And I think if there's one thing that's within the, the, you know, the Webflow community today, that's a little bit misunderstood is it's kind of like we're at the hot rod phase of, um, capabilities (laughs) where it's just like, we got these superpower, you know, 
machines and we can just like go super fast and it's just like you know so much glamour and things along those lines and on the back side of that's like we like a lot of people are driving around without seat belts you know mm-hmm. if there's one thing that goes wrong these are not just like you lose your job type of scenarios it's like they can be um you can lose your house uh you know they can they can impact you for the rest of your life in a really negative way and i've i've seen um how that works um and i've seen you know just people that you know you think it's just a project and then things go wrong and then you know um it can go very wrong i think um one of the best things that i did uh was going through like one of those bad projects like yeah. I, nothing serious ever happened to me yeah. it's just i didn't get the second 50 percent of the contract um which at the time was devastating but now i'm yeah. looking back on it i'm like it's okay um yeah. but but I, I took all of that information to a, a local lawyer here mm-hmm. and she wrote me a contract and it's the most bulletproof thing that mm-hmm. I have ever had. Things yeah. like um, uh, she, she added a Disney clause and I'm like, what is this <laughs> Disney clause? And she said, well, if you use any, if you, uh, the client provides you with um, uh, any material that they haven't properly vetted and uh, yeah. as copyright of somebody else and they don't have the right to do that, it protects you from any yeah. liability. And just yeah. little things like that, um, yeah. I just felt so much more comfortable. I'm like, I just I just want to make websites. I don't want to think <laughs> about all of this stuff. So yeah. thank you for doing this for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I um, As a as an agency, we actually started building a product about three years ago to help um, create contracts and estimates. And um, we're still working on it. It's taken a backseat to some other things that we're working on. But again, it's it's bigger than just like I think one of the one of the things that I realized is that it we built the product and then it's like you have to also sort of there's a project management layer on top of that. There's like how to negotiate the MSA. There's like all of these skills that are very much unknown and they can um they are they are something that if anyone ever wants to talk about the ins and outs of contracting like i've had to learn the hard way and i've had to learn about like things to avoid and how like we've had to walk away from deals because the contract uh like we couldn't agree to the contract and i think it's okay to be able to do that um for example Limitation of liability, it's one of these things that often gets kind of passed over, um, but it's one of the most important, I would say limitation of liability and jurisdiction are the two things that, um, you know, we zero in on is like non-starters. And so on limitation of liability, it's never any more than the cost of the project. Um, and jurisdiction, it's always like wherever I am. And the reason is, is like with jurisdiction, you don't want someone to, if they were to file a complaint and another city, then you have to actually hire a lawyer in that other city. And that's a way for them to be able to weaponize the contract. Um, wow. And then the limitation of liability, um, typically they'll agree to like, and no more than the cost of the project, then they'll try to do carve outs. Um, so that's an insulin less and blah, 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 blah. It's like, that's where you have to be able to um, not have those carve outs or try to address that objection in another place. Like if there's, you know, like, like we don't offer indemnities, like, you know, that's an indemnity, like what you're talking about within your Disney Mm. clause and how to start to just recognize some of those fundamentals. So that would kind of be, uh, I'm trying to um, give an example of what you just said. Um, 
in terms of the this the second point what what do you sure. think an example would be for an indemnity um no i think what we were just talking about right before that oh um oh within the limitation of liability yeah so yeah. it's like so uh something that'll often get uh, carved out is like gross negligence or things. And it's like, but what's gross negligence really going to be, you know? And <laughs> yeah. so it's a way to, one, one of the things that you'll see with lawyers that I've learned from my in-house <laughs> counsel is um, <laughs> that it'll try to go and say one thing in one place and then carve out uh, so that you mm. defang it. Um, so that it's like, oh yeah, well, we gave you 0.13, but we're going to, you know, and it's like, but yeah, but you've, you've made that kind of moot uh, up above that. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you have your wife. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. I feel, feel very, very lucky. And that's um you know, it's a it's a balance of working with someone that you're you're married to and again trying to make sure that she has um clear kind of like area in that she's is she zoning and the same thing for me. I was teasing about us being on the same computer at the same time, but it's like I'll be like, You're not alt tabbing, and she's like, I can't find the safari. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like different different in terms of how we look at stuff that that is that did you ever think that you guys would work together uh no but i would say that like something that attracted me is like i was like she's gonna keep me in line um, <laughs> you know <laughs> so uh and and she absolutely has when you talked about um the time period when you had a a role um at that at that company um i remember you also saying that uh your your wife was um like in her third trimester um with your your child she's like seven months pregnant um it's not cancer moment yeah Um, yeah yeah that's (laughs) still very tough (laughs) uh yeah so you know and i think this gets back into one like starting edgar allen but also at my last agency like i'd had an idea for a you know a company that I wanted to start which is a really like you know trying to take a trying to focus on design but taking a story first approach and using story as a way to um kind of think about and frame the work and Mm. so I did a lot of like experimenting and I was able to write a lot and start to work through some of that pitch and um there's a great pdf that i can post later called the story driven organization and then also like making pixar is a great book and they talk about how they're using story not just like within their end product but in terms of like the the way to even address conflict um so what story driven means is that you recognize that there's going to be a point of tension and you try to address that point of tension between where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow. And mm-hmm. that allows you to then have a way to navigate through that as opposed to, you know, often organizations will use sort of like warlike language, like, you know, we're going to, you know, dig into the trenches and stuff along those lines. <laughs> and what that really starts to do is that puts you against your um, your customer. You know, it's like, we're going to dominate the market and things along those lines. And that's not the way to, that's not a very human way to approach the world. Uh, a very human way to approach the world is to understand that there is no like from point A to point B. And another point within trying to be story driven is looking at there's another book called the um, Story Brand Framework, which is really great for um, understanding um, strategy. I actually think that from a from a from a brand standpoint. <laughs> Um, it can be a little heavy handed. So uh, I, I really like it. And I think the thing that they do the best, and I think something that you do a really great job of is you are a great 
um, uh, you help people navigate, right? So you help the people on your show feel like the hero and that you are their guide to understand both like what they've contributed to the world and how they can make an impact within design and, and things along those lines. And then for your end, you know, the person that's listening, um, there's so many amazing points that you make. Like I will be on a run and I'll stop and I'll just start taking notes. And, you know, it's everything from like, I was listening. Um, uh, so I'm going to say his name wrong. Um, you can describe him. Julian Kreeth. Oh yeah. Dis- Julian Kreeth. Kreeth. Okay. So German guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, he was talking about like, the vulnerability of the agency world and how like, you know, he almost like went out of business at COVID, like when COVID hit, like we had the same thing that happened. Uh, we lost 80% of our, our billings within 30 days. Um, and just like, you know, and you've got like, we've got a staff of 12 and health insurance and all this other sort of stuff and a global pandemics heading. And I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll see the fancy websites and stuff along those lines and not realize like how vulnerable the services um, side of the business is. Um, but that's a long way of kind of getting to like what it means to be story driven. And um, yeah. And, and, and I, I thought a lot about this at, at my last company and then all of a sudden I was fired. Um, so fundamentally, like I would say like I, the, the dirty side of the agency world is you are, it's, it's like um, uh, it's like an escalator without a second floor. So it's like, you're promoted, you're promoted, you're promoted, you're fired. You know, it's like, <laughs> like you, um, it, it's part of the sort of turnover, you know, and mm-hmm. there's probably some creative differences. Um, like at this point, they, they were changing what they wanted to do. They'd been like a bunch of different companies. I was there for seven years and they'd been a bunch of different companies by the time I was there. But what I would say is that it gave me, oh, and um here, here's another, here's the other fun part is that at this time, like my wife was seven months pregnant. Um, you know, we had childcare there, which was really wonderful. And it was so amazing to have, like, I think that's something I'm so excited about for being remote is like, you know, now you can be there with your children and like, now I'm camping out in my car so that my children don't <laughs> interrupt me um, while I'm on this call. But, you know, I just remember the sort of baby train that would go by. And how, you know, like I could see Alice and I would bring Alice with us to meetings and just being able to bring her into work. uh, It was the most amazing type of environment. Um, And just like, it it was fantastic. And then all of a sudden that was taken away, like where, um, you know, I, you know, I didn't have childcare, you know, didn't have a job, like, you know, we didn't have savings. Um, But what I would say is that in murder. That's um, okay. I'm going to close my door now. Um, it's okay. <laughs> for everyone listening, that <laughs> closing the car door. It was getting a little hot, so I opened the car door. Um, but um, I think if you're going to start something, you have to have something to prove. And it definitely gave me something to, like, it, it got me very fired up. Um, also life hack, uh, I know that there is a conversation recently on the podcast around like feeling like you have to start, you know, a company before you're 26 for, so yeah. you have health insurance, um, just go and get fired and then you can have Cobra. Uh, so that's what, <laughs> that's what happened to me. So it was kind of like this really amazing thing in which I like, you know, had an idea. Um, I, 
at this point was fired up and then I was able to get health insurance. Now I know that there's an open market right now, but Cobra still really helps to be able to get that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, for those that don't know what Cobra is, it's like, it's the health insurance that you get, uh, after your, I guess, um, your role ends, um, or like you were previously employed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Role ends. (laughs) Um, but yeah, and it's, um, it's a, it's a way for, you know, you can, continue you, you then start to take on payments for that insurance but it's a way for you to be able to have access to that um that insurance yeah i totally and you can do it for 18 that. months yeah i i totally feel that pressure um because yeah. uh i got three years left <laughs> and okay. you, you definitely feel uh feel that but um but yeah i don't know i think that uh i don't know it's just like such an added extra layer of of stress on all of that yeah. um but and, and also i feel like a lot of people don't leave their jobs because of that reason um yeah because absolutely. they're worried I, about how to take care of people well and that was um you know my dad he would ask me he's you know like an entrepreneur and he'd be like so when are you gonna you know when are you gonna start your own thing and, <laughs> and it was two things one of which i was like well i'm really trying to learn the, the business side of this first and then the second part being like i was like i mean what am I going to do for insurance? Um, and I think it's a way that where people get locked in and, you know, for, you know, a society, like, I think that it, it, it help it holds people back more than it, it helps by, by far. There was a picture that I saw that I really thought was amazing was the, your um, office before mm-hmm. and, and present day, or at least yeah. a couple of years ago. And yeah. I thought that it was an incredible change of space like it just looked amazing and after everything that you'd been through I was just I was just in awe I thought it was like amazing that that you brought that together and and made that happen thank you I um so I yeah we um so we don't have an office now but when we first started um you know a few things was like um this was definitely back in like office culture. Um, and I hope to one day be able to have uh, an office again. I think it's probably going to, our office turned it out to be more of a clubhouse. (laughs) And it was more of kind of like a rally point for us all. And so I think that whatever we have in the future will will resemble that. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I did. I, I built it, um, with, you know, optimism and a nail gun. Um, you know, and like, I just, I had, uh, three criteria that I was looking for, one of which I wanted to find a place that had a sense of story. Um, and so there is this area in Atlanta called the Goat Farm. It's where they feel, filmed like the District 12 from the Hunger Games. And what? Yeah. Really? Um, yeah, it's just like this <laughs> this old factory, uh, which, you know, it's not uncommon for creatives to be drawn to like want to build out something in a factory. But like um, there was, it was an arts community and there was so much that was happening there. And it was like, you know, you would um, go out one day and there was a modern dance group that would be doing something and you'd go out another day and it was like Andre 3000 and he was just sort of like rolling through and <laughs> like, like, but that would be the sort of, um, that, that was the, the slingshot. Um, and so I had first just got like what's called a white box. And so it was just like a random, um, and, and it was a white box that they built in a big room and it had no ceiling. And, but it had really great light and beautiful brick. And, you know, I, I met some incredible people just in that time. And then I found another area, which was undeveloped. And I talked to the landlord and I said, Hey, um, 
you know, let me do a rent trade. I was like, I'll build this out. If you give me, you know, like if we count this towards prepaid rent and I thought it was going to be like a really good kind of, you know, a way for me to go in and say like, I'm serious. Um, because I think starting out, a lot of people just didn't think I was serious. And so it was almost like this covenant that I was making with the world. Like I'm going to build something and it's going to be important and it's going to be a special place where, you know, I want to work with people that I admire and that they're drawn into being able to do this different type of work. Um, and so they agreed to it. He, the landlord first said, he was like, this is a horrible idea. You should not do this. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, I was like, I really want to do this. And he was like, he was like, have you built anything? I was like, well, I built a deck once with my dad. And he was like, fine, whatever, you know? And so, <laughs> um, and yeah, then I paid for like all the HVAC, like I basically took the sales for my first year, first couple of years. And, um, like anything that I was making in terms of profit, then I was turning it around and putting that back into business in terms of like the actual like space for our, our business. And um, yeah, it took, so I, my schedule was, is that I would start work at around four in the morning and I would go and drive to, you know, the goat farm and I would start my day and then I'd work until about six um, on like office designy type of things, sending invoices, doing pitches, um, all of that sort of stuff. And then around 5.30 or 6, then I'd close my laptop and I'd, I'd work until maybe 11 or 12. And I did that for um, <laughs> about maybe four or five months um, wow. until to get kind of like the core part of the office built up. Um, one of the saddest moments was, uh, you know, Margaret told me that uh, the kids asked if uh, daddy was coming over today. Um, and so like, there was definitely a time where I didn't see, you know, the family for, for about four months, um, while I was building that out. Um, but at the same time, like they would come over all the time and there was chickens running around and they would go and play in the gravel and, um, just like this sort of whole wonderland of, uh, of an environment. And, um, yeah, and we, we built it out. And unfortunately when COVID hit, I made the tough call of letting it all go. Um, I knew we were going to be a different company on the other side of it. I was also, as I said, like really worried about just even trying to make sure that we met payroll, um, which we did in the end. We ended up being able to make it through COVID without having to cut salaries or staff or you know anything along those lines. And I was right when all of we had contracts that canceled and we had like a whole bunch of Webflow work that also came in around that time. But it felt like the passing of a friend. It was um, I had stress dreams about it, uh, afterwards. Really? Yeah. It was very much like a, a death, uh, experiencing a death for sure. Um, because it, you know, that was our space like that. There was so much emotion that was, that was tied into that and you can feel the warmth and you can feel the, um, the, the sense of, of place that was there. And, uh, it had a wood burning stove. And so my routine was, is I would come in the morning and I would make, I'd make an espresso and then, and I get in early. Um, so I'd get in, you know, like maybe later, not four, um, but maybe like <laughs> six thirty or seven, which is still early and get the fire going. Um, and I, I bought a particular type of, of stove that was, um, it would actually reburn the smoke. Um, and so like, it, I've had like the highest efficiency stove that, that I could get. And, um, I would shoot off emails and drink my coffee and, and start the day. So it really, it, it felt like 
how do there's two different ways you could go about that it's like a loss but also like saying goodbye and going on to something new yeah. did you feel kind of both absolutely it was it was a passing right and so yeah. passing from like from where we were as a company to where we are now as a company, which is like, you know, before COVID, we were an Atlanta-based company working with mostly Atlanta-based clients um, with people in Atlanta. And now we're, we're about 12 people. And now we're about 34 people and we're, you know, internationally based working with clients all over the U S and, you know, we have a lot of freedom and flexibility for where we're going to work. I, I wanted to ask you a uh... What were you thinking about when you when you left the office for the last time? I didn't know as well. I think there's two like it's it's sort of two last times. There was like the last time we were all together there as a team, mm-hmm. um, which it was right before COVID, and um, I remember everyone kind of around the center table, and I was like, okay, well, we're going into lockdown next week, and then we'll see when we come out of lockdown that we'll be working from home. Um, and I feel like that was really the last time. Um, and it wasn't like, like so many passings, like there's not a moment where you just feel like it was the perfect time to say like, this is where it ended. Um, and it was more of like this transition that happened. And, you know, then after that, like it was, it it was more like putting the body to rest, um, Mm. to not like make this to be too like, you know, morbid or whatever, but like getting everything packed up and then you know like basically about a month later then i i told them that i was going to move out and get us i just put everything in storage and you know um had a couple people like come and help to put all the like just sort of like slam it together and at the same time we're trying to like not be too close and wear masks and you know all of those sort of stuff um and yeah but it and even going like i wasn't even able to go back to the property uh, for years uh, because of like yeah and it just it, it felt too much really yeah, I was... my my family um had a uh, a summer home that they used to go to and like my great 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 grandparents made it and it's, it was very very old and um uh like like eight generations old oh, and wow it was um extremely sad when um it was the property was sold and the house mm. was taken down um oh wow and my my mom was pretty much the last generation to grow up mm. there um and she said we went back to that same place because the people around us um were also in the same situation like there are families had known each other for eight generations their homes are yeah. still there it like you can walk in and and on the floor there's there's a rectangle outline you say what is this and they say oh this this used to be the ice box <laughs> like oh, wow yeah it was it was it was wild and so i i the only time i've ever seen somebody go through that was when my mom after maybe like 20 years came back to that same spot and she's she told me I didn't notice it at the time, but she told me she didn't even look in that direction yeah. because it just she she couldn't imagine anything else being there. Yeah. And that's that's what I thought of when you were telling me about that. Just watching her. I, yeah. I think I was maybe 13 or 14 when she was going through that. And I just really didn't understand because I was wasn't mature enough. But yeah. that's what I thought of. 
Yeah. It, I mean, it was, um, it was the, you know, the, so much of like, you know, building up of the company and like all of those like stories and like going to get lunch and just uh, being around one another. Um, and we had great, um, we'd have great parties, you know, um, we just have like, you know, a hundred people over or whatever. And um, it was really just the kind of marking of like, this is never going to be there again. And um, it's, yeah, again, we've super, like, I honestly kind of love not having an office now <laughs> because uh, there's so much of it, which is like, you have to, you know, it's like, I'd have to like make sure that like the pipes didn't freeze in the winter and like, that there's not ants in the summer and like it was like a huge responsibility <laughs> and so like I very much love just like having my laptop and camping out wherever now the the last question that that I had for you was um when you look back on on that time period where you were really like putting the office to rest and and leaving that property for the last time um if you now um with everything that you know now if you were like in the passenger seat um, is there anything that you would have said or is there anything I don't know maybe not to change how you thought but is there anything that you would have said to you I don't know what I could have said I think that I'm you know generally an optimist and I think that you kind of have to be an optimist as you want to try to build things like the act of building is an act of optimism and that, I mean, I, I would love to tell myself like, it's going to be okay. Like you're going to make it through COVID and like the world's hasn't blown up yet. And if I can knock on some wood, um, <laughs> I'll do that for you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, and That's, I mean, that, that'd probably be the sort of sentiment. I would say that again, like I am someone that's drawn to a sense of adventure. And so while I was sad about kind of like packing up the office, I was also in some ways sort of excited about this radical act of creative destruction, you know, <laughs> this radical act of like what we're going to be next. Um, I, I had thought um, that if we ever went remote, that I would go very remote. And I would start to, you know, look at how to build teams in other parts of the world um, and really try to focus on those different parts. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, that those probably be the things that I would talk with myself about as I was sitting in the passenger seat, like heading out. How do you think that would feel? Like, just when you think back about that like every once in a while sometimes you look at moments in your life and you don't realize that that was a special moment until it happened like when you look back on that what like how do you feel about it uh i mean uh, even at the time i felt at peace mm -hmm. um because it was for the good of the team and it was for the good of like trying not to hold on to a physical thing when we don't know how we're, we, we don't know how we're going to need to work um, as a group. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, yeah, like 
you know, in some ways it was a shedding of a, of a shell. It was like, it was a, as a transition that we were going through, but you know what? I didn't lose the team mm-hmm. and I never lost like the spirit of like what we're trying to build. And that's the thing that what you see physically is the physical representation of our spirit. And this, you know, that set out at the beginning to set this covenant of like the type of company that we wanted to be. And that's what's there and alive and well and you know is the thing that i am most excited about and that i get to experience you know every day on zoom and being able to go and see people in person and get tacos and you know fly to different parts of the world and experience uh you know these different ways of of just living i'm so happy that this is what you get to experience and that this is how it ended up Yeah, again, knock on wood. Uh, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, but you know, every, every day is a gift, and and that's something that I I take uh, very seriously, and that it can all end tomorrow, and that you know we can all go and get like a a really bad phone call at any given moment, and yeah. the reality that we are familiar with today um, can be shattered, um, and so you know people have experienced that in so many different ways from you know the start of COVID, and you know even still now like you know, kids are like our, our kids are trying to just be around other kids now. And so I think there's going to be like the generation C, like in 10 years, we're going to be talking about this certain, this certain generation that grew up without seeing other kids for two years. Mm. So, um, yeah. Does it feel like two hours went by? Cause it doesn't really feel like two hours went by to me. <laughs> no, I, um, <laughs> I'm so grateful for this conversation for someone that is like, I've been a fan of what you've been putting together. And I think that, you know, what you're doing represents something that I fundamentally believe and the fundamental belief of just have great stories. So that's how we started at Growlin, which is this idea of like, let's build things with people that we admire and have a great story and something that, um, I want to do is that when I look back that I can look back at all these like small snapshots of things that, you know, as a group that we accomplished and that we can be really proud of. And, you know, cause that's what matters. And I don't, you know, it's not like the rewards or anything like it's like how we were able to work together as a group. And I think that what you have and what you've built here, which I'm such a, you know, again, and a fan of, and I think is really special is that, you've been able to sit down with people and talk through um, a lot of the different experiences that start to create these snapshots of who they are as a person. Um, And you can start to see some like, you know, patterns um, within there, everything from, you know, feeling like, uh, you know, you're maybe an outsider or getting really fired up about something or being able to have something to prove within the world, um, being exposed to like totally different cultures um you know just like like this like the conversation that you had with RR about like you know not wanting to be seen and wanting to be seen that's sort of like tension that happens within there and um I think that those are the types of of lessons that you know I try to um think about um and just have these sort of like moments with and that I think you've done a really great job of capturing, you know, with some wonderful people out there in, in the world. Thank you. <laughs> that was really nice. <laughs> um, sorry. 
Oh. So I, I, and I, yeah. So I, uh, I'll say it on this podcast, but I think that what you've done, it should be encapsulated into a book. And I don't know what you're going to do in this next part of your career, but I, I would love to find a way to, to work with you and to support you. And I think I'm probably a one person in a long line <laughs> of people that would, um, you know, that, that believe in you. And, um, and the, and, and here's the thing is like the, something that you are so great at is listening. Like you have this ability to listen and answer questions in a way that is genuine and that is, um, so measured. Uh, and so that's where, you know, you've opened up a door for people to start to express how they see the world and then being able to capture those on, on the podcast. Uh, what people don't know is that, uh, I, um, I went through like a pretty significant loss, uh, within like the last year and, uh, doing the podcast and, and connecting with people um, has really helped just like having more capacity to connect with people because I felt kind of yeah. isolated and um, sad about the loss. And so it was really important. And some people are like, oh, I can't believe you have the consistency to keep going. And I'm like, no, you have no idea how much I need this. <laughs> no, I, so, so what, <laughs> No, and and it was actually a so even in my experience, and it was a question that I had for you is like, you know, I started Edgar Allen after my heart was broken, and so at another point, I would love to hear around like you know, like I could tell that your heart was broken by something because <laughs> you don't just like wake up and be like, I'm gonna go and spend two hours with these different people, and then I'm gonna like, I'm gonna um, research and like go and watch all their videos and. You know, like I was like, I actually took it as a challenge. I was like, I'm going to try to out-research Emily. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been looking for somebody to interview me. If you ever had time, um, I would love to, I always wanted somebody, I always wanted to feel what it, it feels like for, for me to interview someone or how do I just say this? Um, I wanted yeah. to be interviewed in my style someday, but I wasn't sure who the right person would be for that. So maybe if you ever have time, I know you have a lot of stuff going on. Um, I'll, I'll hit you up if you have any I, interest I would in that. Love that. Yeah, I would love that. And maybe we put a panel together. Um, Cause I don't know if I could totally, like maybe there's a short list of, of people um, and we can have an open conversation. Thank you. Well, this has been really lovely and I really appreciate all of the time that you gave me. Um and yeah, it's been it's been really great talking to you. Uh it's been the highlight of my day and again thank <laughs> you for this gift that you've given to the world. And I'm glad to hear that like this podcast is more than just a podcast. It's, you know, a big part of your life and it's it's beautiful. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right, we'll stop there. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm supposed to like, say like my name is Mason. And yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, and this is all really, really nice. I just I don't know how to handle the compliments. Um, <laughs> so um, as I told you earlier, like you're not faking it. You're wonderful. You're super cool. Um, and and I don't want you to feel weird about it. Like it's 
you've you've done great work and so and then i'll and i'll say something like this is a great design lead podcast <laughs> and i don't even remember i told you that was like the question i was the most <laughs> kind of nervous about no it's okay um uh the the way that i i book in the podcast is reintroducing myself um reminding people like what i do and then um telling people how they can they can find me and so i'll do that you'll see how it is and then i'll, I'll throw it back to you and then we'll head out of here so um hi my name's emily uh thank you so much for listening um i i this is this is a really special podcast so um uh thanks for listening to the end um uh, I'm a user experience designer, and uh, if you ever want to reach out to me uh, to be friends, or if you want to talk about a podcast, or you like to talk about jobs or anything, um, uh, you can find me, Emily, E-M-I-L-Y, at greatdesignlead.com. Greatdesignlead.com is my website, and Great Design Lead is my username that you can pop into most social media, and then most likely it will pop up. Um, and if it's I'm not there, then just find me somewhere else. Um, but that that's that's uh, all for me, and then I'll throw it over to Mason, and then we'll head out of here. Awesome. Uh, my name is Mason, and I am a, a maker and a builder with my team at Edgar Allen, and. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I make lots of friends on Twitter. So at Mason Poe. Um, and then as well as like at, at Edgar Allan Co. Those are my two probably places that I bounce between. Um, and sometimes it's funny, like I will uh, like a tweet from one account and then jump over and be like, oh, someone liked my tweet. And then I'll be like, oh my gosh, that was just me. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that that you like my my tweets from from both accounts. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I try to be an equal opportunity like so. Well, Mason, this was this was really fun and I I really hope this is just goodbye and until next time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I will talk with you soon.